My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. This episode is brought to you by Buyers Agency Australia. And um, when I ran it through my um, spreadsheet, it, it made a lot of sense. And um, uh, it was it, it was quite a, um, I guess it was quite an eye-opening experience um, because I, I like, it, like a lot of people, I think, oh, you've got to go negative geared. But I, I didn't even really consider um, positive gearing. And um, But since then, uh, how things have changed. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Sham and in this episode, we're speaking with Dr. Adam McKinnon, a geologist with a passion for earth sciences. His journey has been a whirlwind of dust and dirt with the occasional golden discovery but it doesn't start and end with his career. After years of dealing with shares, he saw capital appreciation in property on the horizon. Dr. Adam McKinnon is a chemist by training after dedicating his high school and university years to inorganic chemistry. As a manager of a public junior ASX company, he spends his days looking for copper and gold, trying to find Australia's next big copper deposit. I went to uni. Um, I was very good at chemistry in high school, and um, in university, I uh, in second year actually, I took a course in what was called chemical mineralogy, which is the chemistry of rocks, and I absolutely loved it. And um, that's that's what got me. It was almost a gateway drug into geology. And um, I ended up getting a scholarship to, to do a PhD in, uh, in geochemistry and also um, in, in geology, earth sciences, which um, I've been doing ever since for the last two decades. His day begins early and he greets the sun while running, riding or walking into it as it rises. Typically, I get up between um, 5 and 5.30. Um, and then as an MD of a junior exploration company, I, I can be doing any one of a number of things. Um, it can range from um, inspecting our latest drill core to going out to site to visit our guys um, doing uh, logging out on site, um, meeting investors, um, talking to brokers, writing ASX announcements is a big part of my job. And I also get to travel throughout both Australia and occasionally overseas as well, pretty regularly. So, For those of us unfamiliar with ASX companies and the differences between the junior and the giant leagues, he gives us a quick overview. 
Yeah, look, our company uh, has a market cap of around $30 million, which is sort of the high end of the, the junior space. But the ASX has sort of one to 2,000 companies that have a market cap anywhere between you know, $2 million and, and, and $50 million, which is what we call the junior end of the market. Um, resource companies are the, the biggest um, uh, number of companies on the ASX. And what we're all basically trying to do is find Australia's next big deposit of, of any one of a number of commodities, um, you know, copper, gold, um, lithium, cobalt, all those things we, we, we people are talking about at the moment that are required to make batteries, for example. There's a large demand for the resources he seeks out, whether they be used for batteries or something else entirely. With the rise of Tesla, this demand is only increasing. Mining... Um, will drive the green revolution. It needs to. Um, there's a lot of um, copper and rare earths and lithium and all sorts of other elements that are required to actually build these batteries, um, wind turbines, and, and all the other things associated with um, the green revolution. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm a small part of um, trying to meet that demand. We dig a little deeper into his background starting in the forest field valleys where he grew up. I mostly grew up in the Blue Mountains, um, uh, which is in the far west of Sydney. Um, I did also spend a, a fair bit of time with my dad in a, in a country in New South Wales, um, in a town called Bombala, um, which is in southern New South Wales. Um, but yeah, I've, um, I've been a Western Sydney boy for most of my life. One of my earliest memories is actually uh, when I was born, I um, grew up at the town of Warragamba. Um, people may know that from the Warragamba Dam, which applies about 80% of Sydney's water. Um, my um, dad worked for the water board there. Um, and yeah, like I say, one of my earliest memories was going fishing with him in the Nepean River. And um, and it's an area I've loved all of, all of my life. And um, I... Uh, I've, I love fishing ever since I was young and I, I love it to this day. I don't get it to do it enough now, but um, it's, it's something that I've uh, that I picked up from a very young age. So um, that's probably what that is actually my earliest memory that I can remember is uh, is going fishing at Warragamba with my dad. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I actually I haven't been out to Warragamba Dam for a while, Warragamba out that way in the Nepean River, but um is that spot quite fishable? Because I think, you know, so much has changed over the years and I'm not sure if that's the case. The Nepean River is, yeah, there's still um, plenty of fish around. Um, it, it it tends to be a little bit inaccessible um, because it's surrounded by a national park. So um, you, it is. Um, it can be difficult to get in there. But, now, you know, these days um, there's plenty of areas you can go and, and catch a fish if you want to. McKinnon is an explorer through and through. And he started early. My parents were separated, so um, I, I still went to school in the Blue Mountains. Um, but in the, I spent most of my school holidays down in on the in southern New South Wales with my dad. Um, so yeah, I went to the local um, public school in Blacksland, which is a suburb of the Lower Blue Mountains. And uh, yeah, all the way through from year seven to year twelve. I really loved science um, when I was in school, and I knew I wanted to do something related to science. I was very good at chemistry obviously, and um, I, I chose to go and do a Bachelor of Science at the University of Western Sydney. Um, but I never really 
knew anything about earth science at the time. Um, it was only serendipity, really, that um, there was a course offered that allowed me to actually get out and see some old mines. Um, and, you know, I was just hooked from then. Um, but, you know, I continued on with the chemistry degree uh, and just included the earth science component of that as well. Painting a picture of what these mines look like, he begins with their history. It was out in the um, Oberon or Bathurst area um, of New South Wales. It used to be a one area in particular. It used to be one of the biggest in the 1800s, one of the biggest copper mines in the Commonwealth. Um, it completely derelict and abandoned now. Um, and it, it's just a, a lot of um, old dumps and, and a lot of old um, uh, workings, if you will, an old smelter, you know, chimney stack. And um, what we were specifically looking at is just what minerals we could see on the surface. This particular mine basically hasn't operated in over a century now. Back in the day, um, that all would have been mined from underground in pretty pretty terrible conditions, mind you, back then. And then um, a lot of the ore actually got sent all the way back to London for treatment. Most um, metals and gold mines um, process their own material in Australia. Although having said that, a lot of the iron ore mines, for example, they send all of their material or most of their material over to one of the Asian countries for treatment. Um, typically, most of our, our iron ore products go to China, for example. One question he gets asked often is, what exactly is earth science? When you look at rocks, rocks are just inorganic chemicals. So that's that's where that um, natural link between chemistry and geology comes in. Um, th there is a lot more to geology as well. Obviously, landforms and um, uh, and geophysics and and things like that. That that's separate. But um, the the very the particular area that I was very interested in was the chemistry of rocks, effectively. And that's where you stumbled into over that time because that's when you went to that mine and you said, "Wow, you know, this is what I wanted to do." So I guess I'm curious, like over the many years, how long did that degree take to complete? It took a total. Um, of seven years to complete, actually, to, to complete my PhD. So it's almost as long as a medical degree or a law degree. Absolutely. When he finally completed his study, there was no rest for the wicked. The person who marked my um, or, or adjudicated on my um, PhD thesis offered me a job with a company that he was working for and I pretty much straight away um, got chucked into the deep end, into the mining industry um, and Within about the first six months of working, I had been on a plane to Broken Hill um, and then also working in the Cobar region of New South Wales, which is about 400 kilometres um, west of Sydney. Surprisingly, um, when I first went out to Broken Hill, it was freezing cold. It was the middle of winter. People don't often associate that part of the world with being cold, um, but very quickly you realise it swings. Um, uh, in summer, it's obviously, you know, normally plus 40 degrees and then in winter it can be very very cold as well so i've um basically spent most of my career now um working in central western new south wales and it's an area it's a part of australia that i really really love with populations of just several thousand people most of the towns he's come across have been small but mighty Obviously, um, it's rural or semi-rural in most of these towns. A lot of these towns actually only exist because of mining. Um, Cobar is a good example of that. There's no river um, that passes by to attract anyone. Um, Broken Hill 
was formed as a mining town. So mining is in the blood of, of these towns. Nowadays, a lot of them have diversified into agriculture. And in the case of Broken Hill, they've even diversified into the arts, actually. Um, there's a big art scene in, in Broken Hill, for example. Coming up after the break, McKinnon delves into the highs and lows of his career. The company that I started working for straight out of uni, um, very quickly, it's an interesting story. The massive size of the deposit he mines for and just how long it takes. We are only at the exploration phase at the moment. If we were to define an economic deposit, um, then you could expect it to take quite a while to actually get a mine up and running. He explains how property came into the picture. So from there, I, I actually called up um, one of my mates from high school who was who was a property valuer in the area. I said, "Do you know any good buyers agents? Um, I guess I want to I want to get into a property, and I've got no idea where to start." And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum, and you're listening to Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyers agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. Being thrown in the deep end of the mines, not literally, turned out to be a double-edged sword for McKinnon. The company that I started working for straight out of uni, um, very quickly, it's an interesting story, within a year and a half I was made redundant. Um, this this was uh, right at sort of in the middle of the GFC um, and, and a lot of companies were struggling. I, uh, I managed after that to go to work as the only non-board employee of a sort of a startup company. And, and during that time, we, we had a fair bit of success and I discovered a small uh, gold deposit. Um, and and that really, that's really what kicked off my career. I worked for that company um, for around six years and then uh, moved to a ne- another nearby company um, and uh, looking for uh, um, copper and gold um, and also uh, lead and zinc. And uh, had a fair, over the years, I've had a fair bit of, of success at finding deposits um, with that company as well. Um, to the point where I rose through the through the ranks of um, that company up into the senior management and then onto the executive team. While many of us probably panned for gold during the school excursions when we were younger, the modern process looks a little bit different to what we experienced. So obviously it's fairly involved, but the short the short answer is we use a whole number of different techniques. We can use things ranging from just simple mapping going out and looking at the rocks and saying it look these look like the right rocks we can use something called geophysics um, which looks at um, uses satellites and other techniques airborne flights to um, investigate the nature of the rocks 
And then the other main technique we use is geochemistry, where we go and sample the soil and sample the rocks and see if there's any signatures of the metals we might like to find. When we find an area of interest, then the very next thing we normally do is we put a drill hole down into the ground. Um, drilling is very expensive, so that's usually the last thing we do. Um, but th that's, the, that's the definitive test to tell you whether there is actually something there. It actually more than you might realise. Um, there's, there's actually a whole suite of techniques that allow us to see deep into the earth. Um, and some of them rely on magnetics, some rely on gravity, some rely on the um, putting a current into the ground and seeing what the response is um, that comes back. And there's a whole number of other techniques as well um, that, that can be used. And, you know, some of these techniques, one in particular called seismic, can see all the way down um, through the Earth's crust. Um, so we, we can see a long way into the Earth using these techniques. Wow, that's amazing. So does that is it because um, those techniques also cost a lot more to utilise and hence the reason why um, those technologies aren't constantly used or is it, you know, available for every type of mining company that can use it? It's not that they cost a lot more. It's not. It's more that they can't directly detect whether or not there's gold there. They can tell you a lot about the rocks and they can tell you a lot about the faults and folds and things like that in the ground, but they can't necessarily directly tell you that there's definitely going to be gold or there's definitely going to be copper in that particular area. He's climbed the ranks in the company he works for in the year he's been there. In that short time, He's worked his way up to achieve an upper senior management position. They were looking for a managing director um, and I had had a lot of success um, uh, defining some of these deposits and they wanted someone who could, who could find um, these copper and gold deposits for them. So uh, they, they invited me to come across as the manager, as the managing director and uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've since had quite a bit of success um, uh, in the narrow mine region of New South Wales. How did you actually find that area to start off with? Was there some kind of specific, um, I guess, area that you, you were just focusing or this company that you're, you're working with focused on? Or was it just going, okay, we need to find a particular resource and this is you know where we're just going to spread our wings and go for it? We knew it was in the right rocks um, because there'd been some drilling there before that had shown indications of um, copper and gold mineralisation. And um, what we did is we followed up some of this earlier work and, and really we, um, we drilled into some really quite nice um, copper and gold mineralisation. And we've, we've pretty much been drilling at this spot for the last seven or eight months now. The, the type of deposit that we're looking at is one of the um, main sources of copper worldwide. Um, it's called a porphyry deposit and it accounts for about 60% of all of the copper production in the world. Um, these deposits are typically very large um, and can be massive. They are the biggest deposits in the world um, and generally they range from around 100 million tonnes all the way up to several billion tonnes of ore. With at least 100 million tonnes of ore on the line, it's far from a quick process. We are only at the exploration phase at the moment. If we were to define a economic deposit, um, then you could expect it to take quite a while to actually get a mine up and running. You know, in Australia, it takes anywhere between three to 10 years to get a mine operating. And then, and then these types of mines can be operating for decades. They, they, they are very long, long life mines. There's a huge, obviously, risk 
to um, committing to drilling out those deposits, but the rewards are potentially massive. And that's what investors and, and gold prospectors um, have done for time immemorial. They, they spend a lot of effort in the hopes um, that they'll hit that um, bonanza, so to speak. He's incredibly grateful for all he's been able to achieve in his line of work and gives credit to several factors. Pretty much worked for four companies in a two-decade career now. Um, so, um, and look, I've been very, very lucky to have had some success um, actually finding some of these deposits. Some geologists, um, not through any fault of their own, will go their whole careers without ever um, discovering a deposit. So there is a little bit of luck involved. Um, it's somewhat um, hard work and somewhat luck in, in that sense. But, um, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to discover or been a part of discovery of a couple of these deposits now. And, um, and yeah, it's, it is quite exciting. It's a very dynamic and exciting industry to be in. He explains how discovering deposits impacts the company he works for and the share prices. At our end of the ASX, company scale that's exactly what we're hoping for um, as you would be aware as a as a company that's not actually producing anything we're just looking for new deposits we don't have any income so what in if I put it into um, property terminology what we're after is a capital gain um, uh, we, we have no income we have no cash flow so to speak um, our cash comes from the investors who are investing in our company hoping that we will give them a big capital gain once we make a discovery and that's that's what you found recently isn't it that you mentioned that there was a discovery there we're still in the process of investigating what we've got um, we, we obviously had a, a pretty big share price rise um, more than doubling on the discovery um, uh, but you know things it's as I mentioned before, it's very dynamic and uh, there are lots of moving parts about why a share price might go up and down, including things like the global markets and also metals prices, um, general sentiment, risk appetite, all that kind of thing. After digging into the depths of his career, we switched tracks to discuss his dive into property. Our first property, like most people, was actually our, the property we bought as our, our home, my wife and I. Um, that was in 2010. Um, at the time, um, we, you know, we were, we were quite extended um, when we bought the house, and um, we had a loose plan that, or you know, I had a loose plan that I wanted to pay it off within seven years, and the way I was going to do that was by dumping all our spare money into the offset associated with the mortgage. Now, in that time, uh, two our two girls came along, so uh, that that plan blew out a little bit, but but we did um, we did actually manage to. Um, to pay it off in 2020. Um, yep, and um, I guess that's what precipitated my um, my property journey. Even though it's not been a, a particularly long journey to, to to this date, I I got to a point where I went, well, I'm not going to leave my money in the bank. It's effectively losing money in real terms if I, I just leave it in the bank. Um, I'm not putting it. I'm not putting it on the offset anymore. And I'm used to. I'm used to saving all this money each month with each pay. I, I need to invest it. Um, I over the years we'd had some experience investing in shares, particularly in the, some of the companies that I'd work for. And look, even for companies that I work for, I couldn't predict which direction the share price was going. <laughs> so. I thought, well, look, um, I'd been impressed with the capital appreciation in our in our house, and I thought, look, we probably need to 
um, to get into property. That's it's going to be the best long term um, and safest um, stable investment for us um, looking towards our retirement. You know, in in fifteen twenty years time. Yep, that's excellent. And I guess maybe just paint a picture. What kind of house did you buy back in 2010 for, for your family home? We bought a four, uh, four and a half bedroom um, brick house built in the 1960s in, in the suburb of Blacksland, where I went to high school um, in, the Blue, in the Blue Mountains. Um, I think at the time we, we paid about 460 for it back in 2010. Um, obviously, we've seen very significant um capital growth on it since then. Um, we, we also did a fair bit of work on it at the time. We spent about 70 or 80 grand renovating it, you know, rendering, um, changing out uh, kitchens, all that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, well, look, um, it's now fully renovated and, and it's, it's a really nice place to live. It's a really nice area to live. The way he started echoed a similar sentiment. I love to invest, but I don't know where to start or where to go. However, his unique approach sorted him out quickly. I do what I normally do when I have a problem like this. I build a spreadsheet. Um, so I'm uh, I'm one who likes to model everything, um, and um, and that just comes from my probably my scientific training, but also my business um, business training with the companies I've worked for. So I build a spreadsheet, and I said um, I pushed it out for 15 years. Uh, looked at the built it so that it evaluate costs, cash flow, capital gains, depreciation, and, and in particular, the tax implications of both my wife and myself. Um, so it was thorough. And, and then um, I looked, I thought, okay, well, um, the first thing we looked at, I thought, well, if I if I enter, you know, a property investment, and I looked at a Sydney property, I thought, oh, you know, around a million dollar um, Sydney property, negatively geared, um, we we can afford that. Um, but I had exactly the same problem. Uh, you know, talking to my wife, we said, we agreed, yeah, this is something we should do, but we've got absolutely no idea what suburb to look for or even what type of property to look for. Um, so from there, I, I actually called up um, one of my mates from high school who was, who was a property valuer in the area. I said, do you know any good buyer's agents? Um, I guess I want to I want to get into a property and I've got no idea where to start. Um, he said I don't know any property uh, any buyers agents per se, but I I do know someone who does positively geared investments. Um, Aidan Collier um, over at uh, the Linda Group. So I said oh, okay, um, I'll I'll go and meet with them. I ended up going and meeting with um, Aidan and and Kimberly Linda. And I was uh, very impressed, actually, with Kimberly's story. Um, I think uh, you may have even had her on the on the podcast previously. So um, she ran me through her personal story and and some of her clients' success um, using basically dual income um, builds um, to and then you know piggybacking um, a number of these um, purchases together. And um, when I ran it through my um, spreadsheet. It made a lot of sense, and um, uh, it was it was quite a um, I guess it was quite an eye opening experience um, because I, I like it, like a lot of people I think oh you got to go negative geared, but I, I didn't even really consider um, positive gearing, and um, but since then uh, how things have changed.
Adam McKinnon's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. We dive deeper into how his property journey began. We settled on our first block in North Richmond, actually in December 2020. The trials and tribulations that came along with it. Some of the blocks weren't even registered, so that's another story. He shares the numbers we've all been waiting for. And a lot of that is due to capital appreciation. And that's next time on Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals? Or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 